This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Rico Bronia time in the middle of Super Wild Card Weekend. How's everybody? Evan Roberts, Pete Hoffman. We talk New York Met baseball and we debate because it seems like Met fans are joining two factions right now. Faction number one is we need another bat. I'm in that faction. Hi, how's it going? Faction number two is no, 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 no. We need to have room for all the kids to play. And that seems to be the debate. We have a lot of back and forth in the email at the RicoB at gmail.com. And there's been a lot of back and forth amongst Met fans about this. And I want to make this very, very clear on how you can have both and how I can stand firmly in this team needs another bat land while simultaneously saying, yeah, I'm with you. I want the kids to have a chance because I think 2024 in a lot of ways, and I'm not telling you they're going to win or lose because who the hell knows. I'll make that prediction come March. But 2024, I think, is going to be dominated by all of us as Met fans wanting and then seeing young players. And we've had a little bit of that over the last few years, sometimes frustratingly over the last few years and screaming and yelling, why isn't Francisco Alvarez here? Why isn't Brett Beatty here? Why isn't Ronnie Mauricio here? Then they come here and then we're frustrated because Brett Beatty stinks. But I do think that we're going to get a lot of that in 2024 because the Mets have a group of young position players that are on the come that are getting very, very close. And this doesn't matter if the Mets win or lose, because think about it. In 2022, the Mets were winning, and yet we were still screaming for the young players to come up. So it's not connected necessarily to, well, they're winning, so we won't ask for that kind of stuff. No. When you have young players in your farm system, and they're tearing it up, and there are veterans at the major league level, maybe not performing to such a high level, winning or losing, we're going to ask for those young guys to come up. But here's why... I think it's easy to do both. Right now, the New York Mets, if you look at their 40-man roster, have set up third base as a breeding ground for young players, the outfield, one outfield spot specifically, maybe two, if Starling Marte has a tough time staying healthy, 
two outfield spots for that breeding, breeding ground, and as of right now, designated hitter. So you have allowed yourself three spots on your everyday lineup. And guys don't necessarily play every single day. And sometimes when young guys come up, you don't want them playing every day, as we've seen in the past with Alvarez and Beatty before Alvarez made it impossible to not play him every day. So if you add one more bat, which not only makes your team better going into 2024, but it doesn't block youth plate appearances. It doesn't. You still have room to allow Jet Williams to come up and play. For Mark Vientos, who's tearing it up in April, to continue to play. There's room for that. First of all, third base, and I think this is important. I know Vientos looks so bad defensively, but I want Vientos in the mix at third base. Now, one of the big questions about Mark Vientos is, what can he be with consistent at-bats? I'm all for getting him consistent at-bats. You can get him consistent at-bats while also adding a designated hitter. That is not impossible. How, you may ask. Well, how do you do that, Evan? All right, let's get specific. One of the names that's been mentioned a lot over the last few days is Jorge Soler. Now, there are some negatives to Jorge Soler that we should address. But let me just first explain where Vientos can still get plenty of at-bats if Jorge Soler is here. And then we'll go through the positive negatives of him and other designated hitter options. If you add Jorge Soler... Mark Vientos is in the mix at third base. Maybe Brett Beatty doesn't face every single lefty. So there's at-bats right there for Mark Vientos. That's number one. Number two, Jorge Soler is a butcher in the outfield. I want to acknowledge that. But he can still play the outfield every once in a while. I don't think he has to necessarily become 1,000% designated hitter. Now, maybe he's 90% designated hitter because he's so bad defensively, but you can sneak him in the outfield. And on those days he plays the outfield where, let's say, Harrison Bader doesn't play or Starling Marte needs an off day, DH opens up for Mark Vientos. There may be a day where Pete Alonso needs a DH day. First base opens for Mark Vientos. And obviously with those at-bats early, if Vientos is hitting and hitting and hitting, who knows what Brett Beatty's doing? Who knows what Harrison Bader's doing in the outfield? Who knows if Starling Marte's healthy? There are plenty of ways for Vientos to get at-bats. Like, I don't think it needs to be as simplistic as, well, DH needs to be open for him so that he can play every single day. There is plenty of other ways he can play every day. Like, let's not make believe that guys play 162 games. Very few guys do. Now, the Mets have a handful of guys that have. You know, Brandon Nimmo's been a guy over the last two years, to his credit, that's gone out and played every single day, and that's great. Can I expect that again? I don't know. I'd probably, if I had to bet, say he's going to have one IL stint. Knock on wood. Pete Alonzo, for the most part, plays every day, but even he had an IL stint last year after he got drilled by Charlie Morton. Injuries are going to happen. Starling Marte has played really well in winter ball, and that's great, and that's awesome. And one of the keys to the Mets having success in 2024 is Starling Marte looking like the guy from 2022. But seriously, we think he's playing every single day. We think he's playing 155 games. There are plenty of ways for Viento specifically and other kids who emerge because they're performing at a high level of AAA, whether it's Luis Sanjay Lacuna, whether it's Drew Gilbert, whether it's Jet Williams, they will have plenty of opportunities to play even if you add one more bat. And that's the key, one more bat. When we talked about this two months ago, 
Maybe Pete and I were more on the, they need two bats. They need three bats. I'm good. I've accepted that one bat is fine because that allows you to accomplish two goals at the same time, which for me as a Met fan has always been the goal going into this offseason. And that is goal number one, try to win games in 2024, try to make the postseason, and once you're there, you never know. And goal number two, develop the guys on this roster. It is possible to do both. It's not all or nothing. And whether it's Jorge Soler or any of the other DH options we've talked about, adding one guy, not two guys, adding one guy does not blockade young guys from playing. So if you're on that bandwagon of you can't add a bat, that's not fair to the youth. You're wrong, respectfully. You're wrong. It's baseball. Guys are going to miss time. And if you're creative, and I think Carlos Mendoza is, everybody can get their at-bats. So one thing that maybe we didn't talk about so much, but who did David Stearns bring in from the Houston Astros? You're talking about player-wise or front office? No, front office-wise. He brought in somebody uh, from the Houston Astros front office, and I can't remember his name. But one thing that they've done recently, they started with Jordan Alvarez, he was a DH, and now he's starting to play the field. And they did it with, with uh, I forget how to pronounce his name exactly, but, but Yainer Diaz, mm-hmm. who's a catcher, DH. And they bring him up, and they find ways to give him at bats, and he was productive with the bat while working him into the field. There are opportunities all over the place, and that's what we're talking about. Being versatile, being a utility guy, that's why baseball that's that's where baseball's going now it, it it's not you just play this position and it's done you can't clog up spots well and, and also harrison bader who you know i've said a lot on this pod since they signed him hey he's a fine fourth outfielder he's not an everyday player i guess what i'm starting to accept or it's kind of becoming crystal clear in my head is he may be the everyday center fielder at the beginning, but that's not the long-term plan for the season. Obviously, when you sign a one-year deal, it's one year. But by May or June or July, but hopefully earlier, you've got youth coming up that's going to turn Harrison Bader into what he should be, which is a fourth outfielder. So the signing of Harrison Bader does not blockade young players. He temporarily holds a spot until those young players come up. And I think we have to remember that. Like, the Mets are not blocking all of their youth with veteran signings. And so I think when you view Bader in that light, which I'm starting to, which is, yeah, he may be the everyday center fielder at the beginning, assuming he stays healthy, but he will lose his job, maybe not because he failed, but lose his job because the Mets have outfield prospects. The Mets have guys who can come up and force the issue. You know, Drew Gilbert, according to David Stearns, is going to start the year at AAA. He performed very well at AA after the trade. Can Drew Gilbert, with a hot April and a big spring training, force his way onto the roster on May 1st? Is that on the table? Now, David Stearns hasn't directly said one way or the other. He hasn't been asked that yet. But that's certainly on the table. When you have a guy starting at AAA, they're right there. And one thing we don't know about David Stearns as compared to Billy Epler is it felt like with Billy Epler, he wanted to wait longer than necessary to call young players up. I don't know if that's the case with David Stearns, especially because of the philosophical change the Mets had. You know, the Mets are obviously trying to juggle two things at the same time. They weren't doing that last year and the year before. They were trying to win. You know, when you have Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander on your roster, you're not 
effing around. You're trying to win. And we all know it backfired. So there could be a quicker trigger to calling up young players. I just think it's important to recognize that adding one more bat, and that's all I've suggested, does not blockade young players from playing. As far as Soler is concerned, let me get you the good and the bad of Jorge Soler, the positives and the negatives of a Jorge Soler signing. Number one, he's a good player. Hits a lot of home runs. This is a guy with 48 home runs not too long ago. Last year had a big power season. He is a legitimate right-handed slugger, and this team could use it. 36 home runs last year, had an 853 OPS. He had 48 home runs for the Royals back in 2019 when he led the league. He is just your typical big right-handed slugger, had a 1,000 OPS against left-handed pitching, which we know the Mets could use. They struggled greatly against lefties last year. So he's a hitter. You know, he's had some down years too. I don't want to ignore that. Like in 2022, he missed half the season and didn't perform when he played. He obviously had that magical postseason for Atlanta back in 2021 when he was the World Series MVP. So he's giving you the glimpse that he can perform big in a big spot. But he's a power-hitting slugger who could protect Pete Alonso. And I know there's a lot in our audience who don't even think protection exists. It doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. Maybe I'm old school in that regard. I think it helps. I think when you've got a 40-home run bat behind Pete Alonso, he gets more pitches to hit. Simple as that. So that's an obvious positive. He is a slugging right-hand hitter, and the Mets could use that. That's positive number one. Here's the negative. I don't love giving him a three-year contract. I don't love that. I love that the Mets in this offseason, even if we don't maybe you know particularly love each player, they are keeping themselves on short-term deals. Harrison Bader, one-year deal. Sean Manaya, one-year deal. Trade for Hauser, one-year deal left. Luis Severino, one-year deal. They're only going to have one year of Starling Marte left after this season. The Mets have a lot of flexibility. And for Jorge Soler, who right now is 31 years old, but he'll be 32 before opening day, so he's a 32-year-old designated hitter. If you sign him to a three-year deal, you're locked in to age 32, 33, 34. Not the end of the world. It's not 37, 38, 39, but you do lose that flexibility. So I'd prefer, in a perfect world, the bat that the Mets had be on a one-year deal. I don't think you're getting Jorge Soler on a one-year contract. Is what it is. Are you getting J.D. Martinez on a one-year contract? Yes. Are you getting Justin Turner on a one-year contract? Yes. I think you're definitely getting Reese Hoskins on a one-year deal, only because he really needs to rehab his value after missing all of last year. I prefer the short-term deal, but I also realize, hey, to get players sometimes, and good ones, you got to give multi-years. Negative number two, he's a butcher defensively. So when I add the positive of Solaire, well, he can play the outfield. J.D. Martinez doesn't play the outfield anymore. Reese Hoskins isn't an outfielder. He's only a first baseman. When I say, hey, that's a positive he could play the outfield, I should acknowledge his defense in the outfield is atrocious. Now, the good news is, I do offer kind of a balance to that, is when you have Harrison Bader and you have Tyrone Taylor, who are very good defensively, if you decide to start Holaire, oh, Solaire in the outfield for a game, you could replace him in the sixth to seventh. Inning. You know, he's not, not married to nine innings of Jorge Soler. You have two really capable defensive outfielders potentially on your bench, at least one of them on your bench, that can come in late in the game and clean up the defense. And, and really... Solaire playing the outfield to me would be a once in a while thing. 
It wouldn't be something you would do often. But I like having that in the toolbox of I'm not locked in with this guy only being my DH. He can occasionally go to the outfield and play. But we do have to acknowledge, and I tried to do my research on it because, you know, unless you watch a guy every day, it's tough to know what they are defensively. So you look at defensive metrics, but Soler didn't play a lot of outfield last year. But then you ask, well, why didn't he play a lot of outfield last year? Because he sucks. That's that's the answer. That's the answer I've come up with, Pete. He's a butcher defensively. But, you know, once every two weeks, once a week, I guess we can live with it, right? Well, it depends on who's on the mound. If we can avoid the ball going to his side of the field, then yes, that, that, that'd be helpful. <laughs> Here's the other thing, though, too. And, and you know what? You said three-year deal. And this is where I think creativity and Steve Cohen's money comes in hand. Now, I'm not trying to say do this exactly, but remember when Jonas Cespedes signed that first year? Yeah. Uh, he signed a three-year deal with the first-year opt-out, and they had to, they overpaid the first year and whatever. It made sense for Cespedes to do this. I'm not saying to give him $75 million for three years. No way. But if you could overpay in a first year and have a built-in opt-out, whether it's a mutual, whether it's a him, but make only make it a two-year deal. I feel like that's where Steve Cohen can adjust it. Maybe you can steal Solaire for a year or two rather than have three-year commitment. Yeah, it's creative. I mean, it's funny. Like earlier in this pod, I referred to Sean Manaya's contract as a one-year deal. It's not. But the reason I referred to it as that is because I just assume that if he's halfway decent, he's going to opt out like he just did. So – it's a good call with Solaire that if you can give him a quote-unquote three-year deal, but it's really a dummy three-year deal, and give him every incentive in the world to have a monster year and opt out, that's a win-win for everybody. Because you get the monster year, which helps you this season, and then you get the flexibility of him opting out. And when he opts out, you could choose to let him go and reevaluate the situation based on the way youth has played and other free agent options, or you can re-sign him. Or let him go. So it's a good idea. I don't know if he accepts it. You know, he seems to have a market. It seems to be that there are three or four teams that are hot for him, whether it's Boston or Toronto or whomever. So I don't know. But even if it's not Solaire, because the Mets can't work out a creative contract like that, and they can't work out a three-year deal because they have the same hesitations that I would mention, there are plenty of other one-year bad options. We've talked about a lot of them over the last few weeks and months. And you got to add one of them because it allows you to do the goal of simultaneously competing this season, which it does. It helps you this season, but it doesn't block anyone. I just think it's a misnomer that adding a DH blocks the opportunity of other players. I don't buy it. It doesn't. Th there are plenty of ways for Mark Viento specifically to get at-bats. Specific. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, you mentioned a creative contract. I've heard this. I don't think it's realistic. I don't think it's going to happen. But one of the other rumors over the last few days would be the Mets pursuing Blake Snell. And off the top, I've said all offseason, I have no interest in Blake Snell and giving him some kind of mega contract, which is what he's looking for. Reportedly, the Yankees offered him five years, $150 million. The Mets, I wouldn't offer him that. Put it that way. I wouldn't offer him five years, 150. But a lot of people have asked me in the email on Twitter, but Evan, what if you get him on a Scherzer contract? That seems to be the new thought. And it's similar, Pete, to what you suggested with Jorge Soler. What if you give him a three-year big money deal, but opt-outs all over the place? So I'll answer this two ways. Number one, yes, I would pursue that. My my anti-Blake Snell opinion is not he can't be productive in 2024 or he can't even be productive in 2025. It's more giving him a long-term deal. I think will age terribly bad, like terribly bad. So if you have a way to bring him in and it's on a short-term deal in which there's still motivation for him to go out and have another monster year and get to free agency, I'm for that. I'm not against that. So I'll answer that right off the top. Yeah. If you told me he was signing the exact contract, that Max Scherzer signed two years ago, a three-year deal essentially in which you're paying him $45 million a year, which is an absurd amount of money per year. But short-term, I'm good. I would take that risk. I really would. And maybe it's a little different in that he has opt-outs after every single year. So to Pete's point, it's the Solera contract you suggested just with Blake Snell. Yes, I acknowledge. I would be interested in that. That's number one. Number two, you really think Blake Snell's interested in that? Blake Snell is coming off of a Cy Young season. As much as I may shit on him, like, is Blake Snell really, after his second Cy Young award and only the second year of his career, and he threw 180 innings, and by the way, he's not 27 years old, he's 31, 31 years old. Does he really think, or would he think, let me sign one of those deals, I'll have another big year, and now at 32, I'm going to get that mega contract? Yeah, but he, but hold on. You, th- there's a he wants two hundred million dollars, and right. so far, I haven't seen a single team budge, bu- uh, like jump on that. Be like, oh, that's a great deal. If you and I are talking this way, I think other teams who are who see what his production is over the past few years. And yes, he won a Cy Young, but they also see the downside. I don't think any team is willing to commit to $200, $200 million for Blake Snell. So there might be that whole thing where the market is not what you thought it was, and it's going to have to flip, and he's going to be forced into that type of deal. But you think he would, because what you're doing when you sign a contract like that is you're kicking the can down the road. You're basically saying, you know what? I didn't get the money I wanted. Let me kick it a year, 
kick it two years, and I feel like then I'll get my payday. I can't see any way, considering he'll be a year older, considering the market for free agent pitching is pretty good next year, when you think of Bieber and Burns and Wheeler and Freed. I don't know how you could rationalize that you'll do better next year. So even if you don't get what you want, like you're suggesting, whatever you can get is probably better than anything you'll get next year. Like, think about it. it. You're a year older and there's a better market of free agent pitching. Why would you do better next year than you would do this year coming off of a Cy Young? It doesn't make sense to me. No, I, I do get that. But here's the thing, like Blake Snell, you think about how many how much money he's made over the past, over his career. Over his career, let's see. He's made career earnings of it's a little slow right now, but hold on. His career earnings are forty-seven million dollars. Right. Or his career earnings. If you offer him a three-year deal for the same thing as Scherzer was, what like hundreds of million dollars, you're making forty-five million a year. You've just doubled your salary. And I'm not telling him he's got to do that. I understand the life-changing money. It's all life-changing at this point in time. But if no one's gonna bite. If no one's gonna to buy buy into that two hundred million, what's one more year? I just doubled what I just made in in my entire eight seasons. What's one more year? Because the Yankee offer, which may not be out there anymore because of the Stroman signing, but maybe it is a five years one fifty, is probably better than what you're laying out. Because even though you're making less per season, you're at least getting that five year commitment. That's why I. I don't buy any of this. I don't buy that Snell's market would come down enough where the Mets would be able to poach him on a shorter-term contract because if that's a Yankee offer, I assume another team would make that offer, and I assume he could get $170 million. He may not get $200 million, but I think he would do pretty well or well enough. Okay, so the, this is – I know it's a different question, but so what's the deal? What's more important for, for Snell? Is he, is, he a, um, is he an AAV guy? Is it more about just career earnings? Is he more about the union trying to, you know, one-up everybody? Yeah, I think, look, I'm just squarely guessing here because every individual is different. But I think when you're 31 years old and you have had two Cy Young seasons in your career and you've had a lot of injuries and mixed results in the middle of it. So you've got the two Cy Youngs, which is pretty impressive. There aren't a lot of pitchers that have accomplished that. And usually the guys that do, outside of like Tim Lincecum and Johan Santana, end up in the Hall of Fame. Like winning two Cy Youngs is almost a ticket to the Hall of Fame. And the rest of his career is very mixed. You know, it's not terrible, but he's missed starts. He's had years with a four and a half ERA. I think if you're 31 years old and that's your resume, you're trying to get the longest term deal possible. I think that that would be my assumption, that you're trying to get a seven-year contract. Now, what will he ultimately get? Who's the team that ultimately gives it to him? I don't know, but if I had to guess right now, I think he's going to get six years. I think he's going to get about $170 million, and I think that takes the Mets out because the Mets shouldn't be in on that. As far as adding another pitcher is concerned, I've said this about the Yankees when talking about the Yankees on the fan. Even though the Yankees have five starters technically right now after signing Stroman, and the Mets have five starters technically if you assume Manaya, Severino, and Hauser are rotation arms, and I do, especially with what they're making. Hauser, I guess, could be more of a swing guy, but Manaya is in the rotation. Severino, clearly in the rotation. There's this thought of, well, they got five, they're done. And I've even said it. I think they're done. And I do think they're done, by the way. I'm not against adding another arm, though. I want to make that clear. Just because I think they're done, 
and I don't think they're going to add another starting pitcher, doesn't mean I'd be against adding Dylan Cease or Jesus Lazardo. Now, the problem with both of those guys, not problem with them as pitchers, what's the cost going to be? You know, I, obviously adding guys like Lazardo and Cease who are young, who are good, who I don't even think we've seen the best of yet, who you have team control over, there's it's it's amazing. Like I don't I wouldn't be against acquiring either guy, but it comes down to what's it gonna take? Like, what's the cost of acquiring either guy? You know, we mentioned on the last Rico, the Marlins have always liked Brett Beatty. By the way, you make a deal like that, there's Vientos's playing time. <laughs> he'll be he'll be playing a lot of third base, that's for sure. But if I had to guess right now, middle of January, I stand by, I think they're probably done and adding starting pitching. Real quick on the Ronnie Mauricio story, because this is crazy to me. And when Ronnie Mauricio went down with that torn ACL, we were all devastated, not just for, for us as fans, but clearly for him. Mike Puma throws this out there about two days ago. Quote, the Mets tried to persuade Ronnie Mauricio to skip winter ball this offseason, or at the very least to wait until January before he started playing. But a significant factor, and perhaps the largest in the 22-year-old infielder's ultimately painful decision return to the Dominican Winter League, was that where he previously earned MVP honors, was monetary. Mauricio was struggling financially, according to sources, and needed the income. One source estimated that a player of Mauricio's stature, who had excelled so much for his team, was capable of commanding at least $20,000 monthly playing winter ball in the Dominican. According to Puma, Mauricio played winter ball. The Mets tried to convince him not to, but he was scammed early in his career, and that's why Ronnie needed the money. Ronnie Mauricio since came out, denied the whole story. You know, my first reaction to this was, first of all, I feel bad for Ronnie Mauricio. I do, because as much as we look at professional athletes and say, oh, man, they got, they got no financial issues. He hasn't made his money yet. You know, he's not a millionaire. But my first reaction, and tell me if this is irrational. If the Mets said to Ronnie, look, for, for various reasons, we prefer you not play winter ball. I want to keep you safe. You're a big part of the plans. You've also played a lot of baseball over the last year. You need a break. We think it's important. And Ronnie expressed a, hey, I need the money kind of feel towards this. I'm going to play. Am I crazy? to say the Mets should have taken care of him. And I don't even know if you can, because can you pay someone extra than what he you know, is making salary-wise? Probably not. But that was my, like, honest reaction to it. Like, could the Mets have done anything, knowing this is a genuine issue, assuming they believe it's a genuine issue, of he's struggling financially and feels like the only way he can make ends meet, if that's really the case, is playing winter ball, and you guys are against it, is there anything you can do, whether it's a loan, whether it's upfront, we're going to help you out. You're a 22-year-old kid. This can't be easy for you. We're going to help you. That was my irrational thought when I first heard this story. Well, the first thing is, I don't know who his agent is. I don't know if it's like a, this is the time to work an extension, right? Like, I mean, this is where you just say, hey, we see the promise. Let's work on like a, you know, eight-year, $80 million contract or the uh, $100 million contract or whatever it is. But the other thing is, I yeah, the legal ramifications, I mean, this isn't college anymore where you can't, you know, college used to be you can't give people money, you can't help them out. I, I don't see why not. Like, and especially Steve Cohen, 
being in the quote-unquote family type of guy he is. He's always that's one thing about the Mets and when Cohen came over. It's always been about you know a, a unit, a family wants everyone to be close. Well, I don't understand why he couldn't lend the helping hand. I've heard in the past that eight, I think Scott Boris specifically, when he has a young emerging star, that he gives them money. Like, gives them money before they're about to earn their money. I've always heard that about Scott Boris, but you hit on something that's actually cunning if the Mets took advantage of it, which is, oh, you're struggling financially, Ronnie? Oh, okay. You know what? Let's offer you a well below market long-term deal. We're going to lock you up forever. You know, you're going to get paid. Like, you're getting a few million dollars, so you're set for life. But in the whole grand scheme of things, we're going to Atlanta brave you, as they say. We're going to brave you. We're going to grossly underpay you. We're going to Ozzy Albies your ass. That would have been a, a creative opportunity for the Mets to take advantage of uh, poor Ronnie. But the situation sucks. He played winter ball. He gets hurt. He's probably out for the season. I, I still don't buy, you know, when you hear timetables of, well, he could be back for August or September. You're not going to rush it. You're just not. So the truth is we're probably not going to see him. And that kind of sucks because – this is a season of opportunity. This is the land of opportunity the Mets have where Ronnie Mauricio was going to get 500 plate appearances. I don't know what 2025 looks for him. It doesn't mean he's gone. It doesn't mean he won't get an opportunity, but it may not be the same. You never know what 2025 is going to look like. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's get to some of your emails. The Rico B at gmail.com. Eric Leone writes, with the Mets signing all these low-risk Kyroid pitchers, why not take a shot on Trevor Bauer? He'd be a top-of-the-rotation guy you can get on a cheap two-year deal. I think it makes a lot of sense. We also have an emailer accusing Pete Hoffman of being paid off by Trevor Bauer because Pete apparently mentions signing Bauer all the time. So I wanted to get this out of the way first. Listen, my hesitation on Trevor Bauer, a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't think this organization considering all the controversy they've had over the last few years, is any in any position to sign a guy who still hasn't cleared his name completely. Now, there is still one civil suit out against him. And what if more comes out about this guy? This is a med organization that had to fire a general manager because he was sexting a reporter who didn't want those advances. This is an organization that once employed Mickey Calloway. So if we were doing the Don Slot you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates podcast or the Hensley Mullins, the Yankee podcast, I think we may be having a different discussion. Hey, it's worth it. One-year deal. I'm telling you right now, for this franchise, for this organization, for the embarrassment it's gone through, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. I know I may be in the minority on that. I know there's a lot of Met fans who say, screw it, bring them in. I don't think it's a good idea. One last time, Pete, are you being paid off by the Bowers? No, uh, but I will say this because I need to make my case. It's strictly baseball decision to bring in Trevor Bauer. I understand there's a lot of off there's a lot of off the field risk, but if you want somebody who is going to be reasonable, two year deal, my ass, he's getting a one year deal because nobody wants to sign him. Nobody wants that PR hit. 
You sign him for one year. You're talking 10 cents on the dollar for this guy. Maybe potentially five, six, seven million dollars. That's what he'll take whatever because he wants to get back in the league. He's gonna prove that he deserves to play it, it back in the MLB again. He's gonna he's gonna prove it. John Kendall Hart has a Rico Bronya request. Can you guys do a show or even a segment on all the bullpen options at some point this month? The Mets have signed a ton of no-name type arms on both the major and minor league side, but it's been very hard to keep up with who's a lock to be in this pen and who has a shot to make this bullpen. Well, John, we will give it to you. This week, we will go through all the many bullpen options that the Mets have added during this offseason because there's a lot of arms and there's a lot of guys who have upside. There's a lot of guys who may just become farts in the wind and not even on the 40-man roster by the time this spring training even starts. So we will do that. That's coming up this week on Rico Bronia. Paul writes, the Mets Astros blueprint. Big fan of the Rico. When Steve Cohn became the new Mets owner, I, much like the majority of us, thought we would be operating like the new evil empire. Why will it, why we will while we did get to enjoy winning a couple of off seasons, I think moving forward, we will not see many more like that in the future. I think Cohen had a similar thought and that it would yield a championship quickly. That being said, the first three seasons of Cohen's tenure ended ultimately in disappointment, embarrassment, and a lot of wasted money. He trotted his way, and I think now Cohen is deferring to the analytics way. The last few World Series teams under a $200 million payroll, the Diamondbacks in 23-120, the Astros in 22-185, both the Astros and Braves in 21, the Rays in 2020. In my opinion, the Stearns hiring signifies that he will be moving to the Astros blueprint, develop the farm, and lean heavily on analytics for talent and being in that low $200 million range for payroll. What that means to me is the Mets will not be re-signing Pete Alonso or going after Juan Soto. Acuna, Gilbert, Williams, and Clifford are very close to being ready to be called up, which causes a logjam. I'm very hopeful for the future, but I think we are all going to be disappointed if we expect us to operate like the George Steinbrenner Yankees. I still think, despite my disappointment, that this is a Dodger blueprint. And right now, the Dodgers are the evil empire. The LA Dodgers just pulled off the billion-dollar offseason, getting Shohei Otani, getting Yamamoto, getting Teoscar Hernandez. Like, they are balls to the wall going for it. A few years ago, Freddie Freeman. A year before that, Mookie Betts. But I think what Cohen has said openly is we want to be them in terms of developing young players, in terms of building a good young core and then spending around it. So maybe I'm being more hopeful than anything. I think that while right now they're trying to find good young pieces and obviously build up their analytics department and find uh, diamonds in the rough. But I do think when they're closer, they will go all in again. I do believe that. Now, does that mean they're going to definitely re-sign Pete Alonso and they're going to blow the Yankees away for Juan Soto? I'm not sure. I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on what they do this season. If they're still far away, no, I don't know. But I, I think it's more the Dodgers than it is the Astros, in my opinion. Could I just add to that, too? Yeah. I think that also, I mean, you have to say, Steve Cohen is not scared of paying money. Like, I don't think that's still an issue. I don't. I think I know that everyone's upset by only 10 million, quote unquote, left to spend this year. What have we released? You just have this high payroll and it's more to 
t- spend on on Scherzer and Verlander not being here than anything else. I don't think he's afraid of spending money, but I think he's giving David Stearns the opportunity to really evaluate this or, or this organization, this the, the core players that he has in this team. Yeah. Speaking of which, Malcolm writes, patience. I think the main thing we take from Stearns is what he wants to do is fully evaluate the young guys. Remember, last year we're all screaming that Buck didn't play them enough. Mauricio being out sucks because he was the main guy I wanted to see. However, I think Vientos is going to be better than we think, and Alvarez can be a 30-plus home run guy. With his vague answer about center field, I would not be surprised if Bader opens the year as an everyday player, but sooner rather than later we see Clifford, Jet, Acuna type getting significant playing time in the outfield, which if it happens, I think despite a subpar record, watching five or so guys develop at the MLB level at the same time sounds like a lot of fun. It will be like watching NXT TakeOver Queens. (laughs) And then he has a wrestling question, which I'll answer. Rock versus Roman. Cody versus an Orton type for night one. Cody versus Roman night two. What do you think? (laughs) I think that the WWE should have Roman fight twice. Roman Rock night one, Roman Cody night two. Give Cody a match on night one as well to keep it fair, kind of like WrestleMania 10, and we're cooking. And now we're good to go. I I do think that we all want to see the youth. We do. But I think that right now in January and soon to be February, we also want to see this team try to get better. And I think you can do both. That's the beautiful thing. I think you could do both. If I was standing here, and I was back in November, I admit that, saying they need to add two bats or they need to add three bats, not including a fourth outfield type like Bader, then I think you'd be right that, hey, how are we going to evaluate the young guys? But I think one bat does not blockade seeing the young guys. Randy writes, random observation about David Stearns. I've noticed he keeps saying um or uh in his talks. I caught it during his first press conference, during the Severino Bader chat, and again with Joel Sherman. It's not a big deal or anything about his baseball skills, but it's damn annoying. What do you think? I think Sandy Alderson was the worst with that. Sandy Alderson was the biggest umming and uh and <coughs> guy we've ever had. So I don't judge it at all. That's not a negative or anything about David Stearns. Yeah, I mean, listen, I do that all the time, so I I take offense to that. Actually, <laughs> funny. <laughs> Alex Young writes on Stearns and why I disagree with you. I preface this by saying that I almost always agree with your perspective on the Mets. That's scary, by the way, Alex. <laughs> I don't expect anybody to th- agree with me all the time. Your opinions are informed and thoughtful, and it's why I very much look forward to the new episodes. Thank you, we appreciate it. All that said, I feel the need to respond to your comments about Stearns on the most recent episode. Maybe I'm drinking the Stearns Kool-Aid, but a totally different reaction to the comments he made during this week's podcast, as well as during his appearance on the John Heyman podcast. While I don't agree with every decision the team has made this offseason, it's clear to me that Stearns has and is executing a multi-year plan to turn this team into a sustainable winner. In the 35 years that I've been a fan, the Mets have never been consistently good. They've had spurts for sure, but they've been fleeting two to three years at best. I totally agree, Alex, by the way. I've lived that with you. I would like to root for a team that's constantly or consistently good for a decade plus, whose playoff appearances are all but guaranteed pending some sort of one-off flukes. For the first time since I can remember, I believe we have a person running baseball ops who has such a vision and will successfully execute it. 
If that means 2024 is indeed a reset year, then so being it, then so be it. During his appearance on that Heyman and Sherman podcast, Stern said that one of his goals this season is to determine what he has in the team's young players, Beatty, Vientos, Gilbert, Acuna, the young pitchers, et cetera. If one or two of those guys take off, then he has built a surrounding cast capable of competing for a playoff run, and I have no doubt they would add at the deadline. On the other hand, if things don't go well, we now have four to five disposable assets that we can flip at the deadline to further bolster the farm. I don't get the sense Stearns is punting the season or pulling the wool over Mets fans who want to compete in 2024. Instead, Stearns is positioning this year's club to both compete while providing a runway for the young kids to learn and contribute. If Gilbert and or Acuna come up in July, we'll quickly find ourselves with a gluttony of outfielders. Same with the rotation of Vassal, Tidwell, and or Scott get a shot. I also don't think Stearns was mocking Mets fans when he said we can't sign everyone. To me, he meant it as a good thing that fans have the expectation because it shows faith and ownership. Personally, I think this team will surprise folks, and I like having an underdog status for the first time in a couple of years, but I also think it's fair to say come 2025, the expectation should be playoffs. And with so much dead money coming off the books, I don't see any reason why Cohens and Stearns aren't aggressive and overspending for Soto, Burns, and others. I do think Alonzo's days are numbered, as the team would rather use that money for Soto, but hopefully I'm wrong. Thanks for reading. I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I think where we need to meet in the middle on this is you can have a year in which you're allowing a runway for young players while simultaneously adding a piece. Like, I don't think a piece, a bat, will blockade the youth that's on its way up. Because baseball is so beautiful sometimes. It takes care of itself. If guys perform, it takes care of itself. The opportunity early on will be there for Mark Vientos. The opportunity eventually will be there for Jet Williams if he performs at a high level. So I think what we need to do as Met fans, as we bring this all full circle, is come together. That you can supply the runway for the youth and the opportunity for the youth while simply adding... One more bat. You can do both. And I still think they will do both. I really do. I still hold faith that one more bat will be added. And we didn't even get into the bullpen, which we'll get into on the next episode of the Rico when we go deep into their current bullpen options and what they also need to add. On a final note, when you think of this franchise, when you think of the New York Mets, and you think of the faces and the personalities and the talents that are true New York Mets. There are some that come to mind right away. David Wright from my generation. David Wright's a Met. He's a Met through and through. He is a Met. For the older generation, Ed Cranepool comes to mind. Tom Seaver comes to mind. And another man needs to come to mind, and that's the great Buddy Harrelson, who we lost this past week. Bud Harrelson was able to represent multiple generations for New York Met fans. For those that grew up in the 60s and the 70s, need I say more? He was the shortstop. He was the guy. He was the guy you probably could relate to because he was tiny. He was Bud Harrelson. He's like, if that guy could play shortstop for the New York Mets, why the hell can't I? And he did. And he was brilliant defensively. And he was a stalwart on a team that got the two World Series. And then he got to do something that all of us wish we could have done if we played baseball in the late 60s and early 70s. He had a chance to have a scuffle with Pete Rose. 
He had a chance as the diminutive Buddy Harrelson to go toe-to-toe on the grandest stage of them all, the National League Championship Series, the Big Red Machine, and he fought Pete Rose. And that's not how he should simply be known, but it's certainly a pretty big footnote in his career. So as a player, he represented those who are a little bit older and remember the 60s and the 70s. And then, for those that are slightly older than me, another generation of Met fan, he was right there in 1986. He was on that coaching staff in 1986. He was rounding third base as Ray Knight was rounding third base. And the Mets were winning game six against the Boston Red Sox. So think about that. Player in 69 and 73, coach in 86. Then he had the chance to manage the big club. And it was mixed. He replaced Davey Johnson middle of the season. It sparked the team. So give him credit for that. And then unfortunately, the following year, the Mets were a disaster. And Bud did not finish the season and did not get another managerial job until he ran the Long Island Ducks. And that's the next generation of Met fans. That next generation remembers Buddy Harrelson as a guy who was always around, a guy who ran the Long Island Ducks as the Ducks became a baseball team on Long Island, as a guy that was always around signing autographs, as a guy that was always friendly, guys that would always say hello. He represented the New York Mets for a million generations. He will be missed. Um, it sucks what he and his family went through over the last few years. He battled, to me, what is one of the most evil diseases in the world, Alzheimer's, which affects your family. It affects everybody around you, and it's heartbreaking to think what Buddy and his family was going through over the last few years. He is a Met legend. He represented a multitude of Met generations. He lived an awesome life, and he will never, ever, 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 ever be forgotten in New York metropolitan lore. So rest in peace, Bud Harrelson. Condolences to the Harrelson family. All emails, thericob at gmail.com. We try to read as many as we can. A lot of pods coming up to look forward to. This week, deep dive on the current options in this Met bullpen. Coming up next week, Mets-Yankees. That's right. The Yankees just acquired a former Met in Marcus Stroman. We've spent this offseason acquiring former Yankees. We put together the definitive list of former Mets and Yankees. The best of the best. The worst of the worst. The, hey, that guy's really a Met. Hey, that guy's really a Yankee. We go real deep on the history of those players that participated and played for both franchises. And again, in a couple of weeks, the weekend of February 2nd, our big rewatch for this offseason, Game 7 of the 2006 National League Championship Series. It is available on YouTube, and we will do a whole podcast recapping arguably the worst game in the history of the New York Mets. We all look forward to that. Appreciate you listening and downloading. Remember, subscribe to Rico Bronia wherever you download your podcasts. Check out Pete on the Midday Show, 10 a.m. on The Fan, me and Tiki, 2 o'clock on The Fan. Goodbye from Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia Podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>